You're listening to another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. It's the special Kentucky Derby, Kentucky Oaks edition this week as you'll be hearing from some connections represented by horses in both of those races. I'll talk a little bit about uh, a trainer with two Kentucky Derby runners and a bloodstock agent owner with a big chance in the Kentucky Oaks with a very special three-year-old filly. So it's an exciting time of year. Looking back, I, I know I've talked about this a lot on past episodes, but it really is amazing to look back at last year, this time, early May, Nobody knew if there ever really would be a Kentucky Derby in 2020. So the Kentucky Derby last year took place in the first Saturday in September. This year, we're back to the first Saturday in May, and I think that's why it feels like it's just coming up so quickly. It's also on May 1st. We're kicking things off. Um in May in a big way with that Kentucky Derby card. Um, The Kentucky Oaks will be the last Friday in April as well. So we're just a few days away from that as we're recording these interviews and and really excited to see this three-year-old crop put on that show and all the undercard races as well as we get a chance to kind of see the big dogs all on the biggest stage as far as North American thoroughbred racing is concerned or perhaps in the world as well. So hope that you will be tuning into the Derby. Give all of your friends uh, your Derby picks as they, for one time out of the year, are paying attention to horse racing. Um, not made my Kentucky Derby pick just yet. I'm going to do that after the draws. I'm recording this episode on Monday to kind of get ahead of things throughout the week. So we'll be tweeting that out uh, later on this week as far as Kentucky Oaks, Kentucky Derby picks do go. I don't exactly have the best record in the Kentucky Derby, though. I won't lie. But anyway... I will let my guests today talk about those Kentucky Derby, Kentucky Oaks contenders, as they obviously know more about them than I do. Enjoy this week's episode with the special Derby Oaks edition of In the Ring. Very happy to welcome in now Jake Ballas, who's a black type thoroughbreds, part owner of Pass the Champagne, getting ready for the Kentucky Oaks. Jake, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Nikesha. I appreciate it. And we just had the draw. The draw. We're recording this on uh, Monday and pass the champagne. Um, tell me a little bit about what happened at the draw and what your thoughts are on the post position. Well, we were hoping to get, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, just right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much, you know, with her running style, it, it wasn't super detrimental. She got the one or the 14, but, you know, ideally we were going to be in the middle and you know, that's what we got, the five five posts, which, you know, we're very happy about. And, uh, the one post was uh, was still on the board, and so it was getting a little nerve-wracking just because we did want to be in the middle. And uh, when they, they said five, pass the champagne, it was a big relief. Now, she debuted uh, at Gulfstream. I remember seeing her actually with Rusty Arnold in her debut, ran a really good second, and um, then he purchased her, transferred her to George Weaver, and she won really impressively the next time out. Tell me a little bit about what it was that you saw in her from her debut race. Sure. We were, you know, the, the Philly opened up as the favorite for Rusty up 12 to 1. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of times Rusty's horses, they don't typically get bet heavy first out so there was a lot of buzz about her and so I bet on her that day and my fiance bet on her and we're watching the race and she just got a bad trip she didn't break well she steadied but the thing when she turned for home you know a lot of horses can quit uh, when they don't have it their way especially first time out 
and she kept fighting and fighting and she fought on and I just got up her second. So she showed she had a lot of heart and guts and we were sitting, sitting at a, this little Irish pub and Maddie said, you know, that's the filly that you should try to go purchase. So I looked at the connections and you know, it was Pat Madden and, you know, he's typically not a seller. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think that we had any shot. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of people out there didn't think they had a shot either and probably didn't make a phone call. So mm-hmm. I got in touch with Rusty and Pat. And it took about three weeks to get a deal done. Uh, he he really wasn't interested in selling. He had mm-hmm. several other offers. And, you know, finally it just came down to me saying, what's the price? And he gave it to me and he was kind of embarrassed about it because he thought it was, you know, I was going to be turned off and think he's crazy. So we ended up purchasing her and she got to George on Tuesday afternoon. He trained her Wednesday, Thursday. I believe he worked her Friday and we ran back that next week. So she was only with George for about 10 days mm-hmm. uh, before. So that second race, it was pretty much running, you know, off of Rusty's training. Mm-hmm. who He does a great job. Um, but it was just the way she ran and fought. I said, I mean, this, we have to try to buy this filly. And when I sent an email and spoke to all the group that I put together, you know, my selling point was we're going to break our maiden February 27th. I looked in the book. That's when the next uh, maiden special was. Mm-hmm. And I said, we're going to take a shot and we'll run well in, in an Oaks prep. And then we're going to go to Kentucky Oaks. Now, that sounds crazy, and it probably was crazy, because plans they don't work out ninety percent of the time in racing, mm-hmm. and and thankfully for this filly, it has worked out to date, and it was unfortunate we couldn't win the Ashen, but you know we were very very proud of her, and you know, I think she got beat by the best filly in the country. It ran a huge second to Malathot that day, and held on so gamely. I mean, Malathot just kind of has that relentless grinding running style um, in the stretch and, and past the champagne ran a huge race. And you mentioned when she broke her maiden on the 27th, that's not in a youth day at Gulfstream to win and break her maiden on a big day. Then second in the Ashland, that has to just be so rewarding when it's a filly that you've spotted and, and fought to get into your care and, and into your program. And you see her really de- uh, kind of throwing it down on the racetrack like she has. It, it was rewarding. Um, you know, every, you know, you hear, there's a lot of rumors and you hear a lot of stuff on the backside in the industry. And, you know, all you heard was, I can't believe Ballas would pay this much money <laughs> and they're crazy. They're this, they're that. Well, you know, you, you, you go to the sales and people spend this much money, five, six, seven, eight hundred million dollars on yearlings mm-hmm. on two year olds. They don't know what they have. And we, you know, we, we spend money at the sales as well, but you know, you know a lot more after they've run. Most of the time, when you when you can identify a horse off the track, the connections either won't sell, or you can buy a percentage. You can leave it with the existing trainer. Mm-hmm. Well, on this deal, you know Randy Hill's kind of the backbone to George's operation, and he's become a very close friend and a and an unbelievable partner. Mm-hmm. So I I don't I couldn't do that. I couldn't just buy and stay in with Rusty. Um, so it is rewarding, you know, it, when you, when you can find something and it, and it does work the Philly vet it out fine, you know, you're always worried about once they do agree to sell, then they don't vet. And right. she did vet fine, but it, it, it is, it is nice to, to go out on a limb 
and uh, and purchased something that a lot of people were questioning. And it comes and turns out to be, uh, you know, we were right so far. And how's everybody feeling now as we're in Kentucky Oaks week? You've got that buzz, that excitement, a draw underway, and the plan's working out. How's, how's the team feeling? You know, it's just, it's crazy. We have, uh, you know, I have 36 people on my side coming. And uh, Rock Ridge, I believe, has 18 people. Black Ridge has 22 I think Randy's coming with seven. Uh, James Brown is bringing his whole family. I mean, those are going to be probably over 70-something. I don't know the exact number, but everybody's really happy. And this is what partnerships are meant for. To You know, you can turn around and high-five your partners. Instead of it just being yourself, you don't really have anyone to cheer with. So that's a great thing about partnerships. It it allows you to spread the risk and which, mm-hmm. which we've done here. This is the first time we've all partnered together. And uh, other than Randy, everyone's in in my group. They they live in Lexington and they've been going to the Derby and Oaks every year. They've never had a horse in. And awesome. you know, this is our first Oaks horse. Everybody's really, really excited. Uh, it's kind of surreal. It, it, like this morning I woke up and it really hit me. I said, wow, it's Oaks week. That's pretty um, cool. It's just it's just hard. It, it's hard when you buy horses for a long time yeah. to to get to the pinnacle of of racing, and that's the Oaks and the Derby. Mm-hmm. And do we know what Randy's shirt is going to be on Friday? I think we're going to keep he'll keep that <laughs> keep that as a surprise, <laughs> and, and hopefully he'll. Uh, you know, I'm sure Jonathan's going to have something to, oh, yeah. to compete with them. So it's it's going to be a lot of fun seeing what those two those two uh, guys show up in. Yeah, he would always, uh, Randy would always come up to me in the paddock in Saratoga and say, send Jonathan Kinchin a picture of my shirt. I have a grade one shirt on today. So it became a little, uh, <laughs> little I mean, there's, there's, there's no one better than Randy. He has so much yeah. fun at the races and, you know, it could be a made in 20 or grade one and he's going to feel the same way and act the same way and he's just going to enjoy it. It's not easy to win races um, in this game. So you you love to see that enthusiasm too, because it is so difficult just to get there um, and then to make it happen as well. Um, Tell me a little bit about your operation, Black Type Thoroughbreds, when you started it, building it, kind of your your model, some of the things that you really look for as far as buying horses under that Black Type Thoroughbreds name. Sure. You know, it was when we were buying at first, it was just for, you know, my family and uh, I had a couple of buddies involved and we had run in our own names. And a couple of years ago, I just said I need to start as a brand mm-hmm. to try to start, you know, have a syndicate just like Eclipse and those guys. And I didn't know how to start it, in all fairness. So I just formed, I formed the name. And in the first couple of years, it was, I ran under the name, but it was still just myself mm-hmm. and a couple of the guys that ran under their name. And we had no luck. And then two years ago, I opened it up and I got some people from Houston, a very close friend of mine, his name is Reagan Swinbank. Uh, he really helped going around raising money for this new quote syndicate. And so the first horse we bought was a two-year-old named Up in Smoke. And then she you know, ran eight times last year, got grade one placed. And then we bought a two-year-old quality road that just ran second at Goldstream first out. And then the third horse is past the Champagne. So we've bought two two-year-olds and a rate and a filly off a track. Now we have a two-year-old that we purchased as a yearling. 
coming into the program and we bought two two-year-olds this year at the sale and that's probably where we're going to st stay uh, this year unless we found something uh, privately which i think is the best way to go it's the safest mm -hmm. way even though you spend more money right um, so like we've been in since 08 um, but I, I, I did two years ago just say you know i want to get more people involved spread the risk you know over long you can't really sustain buying horses you know yourself for 10 mm -hmm. years is very very difficult uh, so as far as what we look for um, when you're buying the two-year-old sales which i've had more luck at than yearlings mm -hmm. and i think it's just because you you can see more you know more right. i don't focus as much on pedigree because if a horse has a lot of pedigree and breezes very well and passes the vet you're probably not going to be able to afford them yeah so it's more the athlete and you know so up and smoke was bought a big beast we bought an american freedom philly and we bought a union jackson colt um and the quality road we were able to purchase because he breathes slow uh, and then that's and he has a lot of pedigree but and he's i think he's a good horse i don't i don't think he's going to be a superstar mm-hmm uh, but he's going to be very useful and, and hopefully he's going to keep improving. Uh, but whereas like the yearlings, you still want to go find the athlete, but you can get better pedigree, uh, but you just don't know as much. And, you know, every big bloodstock agent love the way he walks, walks, walks. Well, they don't walk on the racetrack. Yeah. Um, and I've seen a lot of beautiful, beautiful walkers that can't run. Uh, now you don't want one that's just, that looks stiff and doesn't have a fluid way of moving. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I do think the whole walking aspect is very overrated. Um, and we've, what we've done is, you know, I used to buy by myself and, you know, now my fiance who's worked for Josh Stevens for a while, she's helping and, uh, and I have George. So we'll do a lot of the pedigree stuff together, videos, and we kind of all have to agree and uh, on one and then we'll, you know, we'll buy it and then we'll worry about partnering out after the fact. Tell me a little bit about that that process of finding partners, or getting people excited, of bringing them in, of encouraging somebody to take a share. Um, you mentioned the pitch that obviously was successful and panned out with Pass the Champagne, but obviously you can't always say we'll go to the Kentucky Oaks and, and know that. So how do you get people kind of hyped up uh, to buy into a horse? You know, that's a good question because a lot of the people that I have in Texas, they hadn't even been to the racetrack. Wow. and the first selling point is it's a lot of fun mm -hmm. and I don't want you to give me a check for any amount of money and expect you're going to get a return. Now, I hope we do. Uh, I'm not saying you're going to lose money every year, but don't give me any money that you're counting on and that you re that you really need. Mm -hmm. It's not liquid. And truth of the matter is most horses don't work out. They're not profitable. So you need to treat it as an entertainment value. And you, your family, a bunch of friends get to go to a sporting event with something you have stake in, go to the barns in the morning and just really enjoy yourself. And, you know, you meet a lot of other people within the partnership, you know, that are very successful in their own right. And it opens a lot of doors, you know, to do business with other people as well on their own, you know, outside of the racetrack. And it's just every time I bring someone to, to Saratoga, go in the morning, go ride around with Johnny V and Angel Cordero and go to, you know, Weaver's Barn. I mean, 
it's it's just a it's the greatest experience I think you can give someone other than owning a sports franchise. This is the closest thing people are gonna gonna come to to compare to owning a sports franchise, in my opinion. Uh, and I mean, I have I get videos all the time, especially last year when Up and Smoke was running. It was when COVID hit, so no one was traveling. Mm-hmm. So they would send me videos watching with their kids and their family cheering her cheering her down the stretch. You make a lot of people happy, which you know that's only if we're doing good. So we haven't right. since we've since we've had this partnership, we haven't had many. We haven't had a bad horse. Uh, I got I got rid of all the bad ones when I was doing it myself. I went through about two and a half three years of. I mean, we couldn't we couldn't buy a win, and it, but um. You know this game it has its ups and downs and uh, highs and lows and you just gotta gotta ride them and the highs are they just outweigh the lows ten times even though you have a lot more lows than you do highs. Um, but I just being able to experience the racing with your friends and partners it is a it is a ton of fun and I would encourage you know not just myself but if people are listening that want to get involved just. You know, you have Eclipse Thoroughbreds, West Point Thoroughbreds, you know, Little Red Feather. There's a lot of big partnerships that do a very, very good job. And just reach out to them and talk to everybody and figure out what's going to be the best fit. It feels like that's kind of the future of the game, too. I mean, you even see some of the, the bigger farms partnering up on, on a horse, too, at the sales and kind of splitting that risk a little bit or maybe staying in for a leg if they had an association with the horse before it went to the sale as well, um, which I think is kind of cool to follow. Um, and tell me a little bit, uh, as, uh, as we talk about stallions to touch, a, a horse by the name of Race Day, who you spotted, became a multiple graded stakes winner and, and is now standing at stud um, in Kentucky. Tell me a little bit about following his career and what that means to have found a horse that turned into a stallion. Cause that's in horse racing. Of course, that's always an ultimate goal. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. We, uh, you know, I was helping Matt share at the time and there's this, there's this tap it that just ran at eight, I believe on the shirt or nine on the sheets. I can't remember now, but, but Windstar owned him and he was three turning four. And he had just run back-to-back races. And, you know, of course, here comes the chatter again. Why is Windstar mm-hmm. going to sell a good horse? Right. Um, but in all fairness, they sell good horses. And everyone sells, you know, when they're that, – that, that horse race, they just did not fit their bill because it didn't win a, you know, greatest take at two or early three-year-old. He took a little longer to develop. And so we uh, – I bought him in the, in, the, in the sale and sent him to Todd. And he ended up being a very, very good horse. I'm uh, – we thought he could win a grade one, but then uh, Spinthrift, you know, they bought him before the Oakland handicap, and he won that. So there was a bonus involved. And it was fun, you know. Unfortunately, they have sold him now to mm-hmm. uh, tur- to Turkey, I believe. Uh, you know, I mean, this just like any other aspect in this game, you know, stallions is very difficult to make it. Right. But it was very, very rewarding to to walk around the sales in the seat of race day babies. Uh, knowing that you had uh, something little to do with all of that. When you do go to the sales and, you know, you're kind of looking for that, that next horse, do you kind of look out to, I'm always curious as well for people that have been involved in the game for a while, if you've 
been involved with the family? Because um, obviously, you know, we, we all look at pedigrees. You said you kind of um, can be a little bit more forgiving about pedigree when looking for that athlete, um, particularly at two-year-old sales. But I always find it interesting in the standpoint with agents who have maybe had something to do with the dam or, or the family in some way. Are those some things that you look for? You know, what, what, what that does, at least I'm guilty of it, it makes me really want to like that horse. Yeah. You know, oh, I, you know, I had something to do with this diet. I want to like it. Or I bought the half sister. She was good. And I want to like her uh, or like him. Uh, so it kind of talks me on them a little more, mm-hmm. which, which I shouldn't allow myself to do that. Uh, and I'm better about it now. But so in that aspect, I try not to let that influence my decision one bit. Now, yeah. it does help if if you bought a sibling that acts act like it got hurt, but you knew it had a bunch of ability and never ran. Well, you know that where other people don't. Right. So that can give you an advantage and you'll know the, okay, well, they're typically all small or big X, Y, Z. So you can, you know a little bit more about them than somebody else that has never been around that family. But I love, I love looking at the, at the offspring of horses you have something to do with and but I am guilty of trying to force myself into liking them. I've been there too. And you, you kind of immediately, <laughs> the light bulb flip, flicks on. You say, oh, I know that horse. And you want yeah. to draw some conclusion from that. Mm-hmm. Now, a couple of days away from the Kentucky Oaks, you've got a filly that has been so exciting, um, brought you on this journey what does that mean to you to be here right now? And uh, just what do you think you would do if Pass the Champagne won the Kentucky Oaks? Well, it means the world because this is the first horse that uh, that my fiance, Maddie, Matt Miller, identified off the track. Mm-hmm. So it'd be pretty, pretty special for her to say if we won this race. Now, she doesn't need any, you know, accolades or anything, but or you know, she's already purchased a horse that almost won a grade one. But if she if she could win the, the Kentucky Oaks, we have so we have plans Friday night back in Lexington, and you know, we're trying to reserve this, reserve that. And I just said, look, if she wins, all bets are off because <laughs> yeah. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know how they're going to fit as many people in the winter circle as they as we have. Um, but it would just it, you know like it's a, it's the Super Bowl of horse racing. This and the Kentucky Derby. And so I don't, it's, it's hard for me to say what I would do or how I'm going to feel, uh, but I know I'm going to feel very, very good. I can imagine. Uh, wishing you the best of luck this week, Jake. Um, loved having you on and, and hopefully have you on again soon. Um, appreciate the time and go pass the champagne. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Pleased to be joined by trainer Mark Cassie, who has two runners leading up to the Kentucky Derby in Helium and Soup and Sandwich. And Mark, I'm so happy to have you on today. But before we start, I know that you have joined in on the fun with Soup and Sandwich. So what is your favorite Soup and Sandwich combination? Um, since I was a little boy, my mom would always make me Campbell's Soup, Bean with Bacon, and grilled cheese. And it always made my day a better day whenever that happened. And um, so I've loved being with bacon since I was a little boy. I love that. And of course, uh, Mrs. Weber, Charlotte Weber, um, 
owner of Soup and Sandwich. All of the horses are with Soup in the name and, uh, of course, related with the Campbell's Soup um, just dynasty that they have created. And you have a longstanding relationship with Mrs. Weber as well. And um, she's someone that just really understands the game of horse racing, too. How special is it to have a horse in her colors heading to the Kentucky Derby? As you said, you know, we have a long history together. Um, she has had a farm in Ocala for over 50 years, and I've lived in Ocala for over 50 years. Um, she had a very good relationship with my father, who passed away about five years ago. And luckily, I was able to train for him for a few years prior to his passing. But um, yeah, it's it's extremely special. And as you, you know, if anybody understands this games, the ups and the downs, um, it's Mrs. Weber. So uh, it would be uh, just a dream come true to, to be able to train a Kentucky Derby winner for. And the Live Oak Stud breeding operation is really incredible in, in what they have accomplished in Ocala, as you mentioned, and Soup and Sandwich has quite the pedigree too, being by into mischief with Tappet, a Tappet mayor, a super scoop on the bottom side, but he's a Florida bred too. And, and you took advantage of that first time out. Um, tell me a little bit about that decision to run in that restricted Florida bred company and, and taking advantage of that. Well, if anybody knows me, you know me, and you know mm -hmm. that really, uh, for me, it's not not always about winning first time out. And mm -hmm. I do believe that um, you do want to try for the most part to give your horse a good, you know, uh, a for good first outing where they learn mm -hmm. something. So I just, uh, the, the race came up. It looked like a good, it worked out. And uh, uh, he was extremely impressed, especially for, you know, for, a guy like myself who is that's never my goal is to win first time out if they do, uh, strive to do and that was sprinting first time out obviously he was able effectively to stretch out the next time at tampa was he always a horse that you thought would be able to stretch out to those kind of classic two-turn distances i i can't sit here and say no you know i think for the most part i I, the end mischief does have some horses that will run on, but mm -hmm. for the most part, they're, they're usually better milers, but mm -hmm. uh, he is out of a tappet mare, which I thought would help him. And, and it's, he's got a really strong female side. Mm -hmm. And if you look at him, he's got a little more stretch to him than a lot of end mischiefs. So uh, when, once he broke his maiden, I was like, well, could it be, we have a possible derby horse. <laughs> And uh, so then I went searching. I wanted to get as nice of two-turn race into him as I could. And, and you know, it gets a little difficult sometimes at Gulfstream because, mm -hmm. because of the stretch. And either they'll go a mile and 16th in the short stretch or a mile and a. So it just happened there was a race at Tampa. I thought he got a lot out of this Tampa race. And I don't think you would have seen near as good a performance in the uh, Florida Derby had we not gotten that. Mm -hmm. So it, it worked out well, and yeah, I thought he ran well in the Florida Derby. Ran very well, I thought, being part of that pace, and he does have a lot of speed, um, though, with the tappet influence on the bottom side. And I know this is something that's um, come up uh, leading up to the Derby as well, kind of those 
tap it tendencies as I've seen him uh, two out of his three starts and he definitely has a little bit of that I and mean, talk a little bit about training a horse that has some of those quirks if you will that maybe the tendency to get a little bit revved up a little bit studdish before a race well you definitely you saw that interesting enough he I you know I wasn't there for his first race but I know he misbehaved a little bit he was an absolute pro at Tampa, mm. never, but it was a small field. So maybe mm. there's just not a lot of horse around. And then as good as he was at Tampa, he was that bad at <laughs> golf street. I mean, <laughs> you know, as well, you know, that paddock's pretty close mm -hmm. and he was looking at everybody and um, we're looking forward. Um, and it's one of the things why I think he can move forward one he's going to for the first time in his three start this will be his fourth start he's actually going to get to run out of his stall something he hasn't done in his mm -hmm. first three starts we've also done a lot of schooling with him in the paddock and um, we've also worked on him uh, you know his lead changing he's mm -hmm. been very slow to go to his right lead down the lane so those are kind of things that if we can get him to do those uh, correctly, I think he's got some big improvements still in him. And he's had now three works over the track at Churchill Downs, being based there, as you mentioned, having the opportunity to run out of his stall. Um, Tyler Gaffleone going to be aboard, who you've obviously had success with in the Triple Crown, um, with War of Will winning the Preakness together. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you've been seeing from him at training at Churchill leading up to this weekend. He's had he's worked super, you know. Mm -hmm. um, Tyler's been on him twice and uh, Tyler, you know, Tyler's in a lot of good horses for me and worked mm -hmm. some horses. Um, I don't know that I've ever heard him as excited as he is about soup and sandwich. Cool. He, he really feels like, you know, we have a really good shot to win the, win it all. So, you know, we'll hold our, we'll cross our fingers tomorrow is the draw. The draw mm -hmm. is going to be very important for a lot of us and um, hopefully we get a good draw. It's I it's I it, it it's time that uh, I I do get a good draw. Last year we had or two years ago we had the one hole with War Will, which is mm -hmm. just a killer. So uh, we'll definitely be holding our breath come draw tomorrow. Yeah, being down on the inside with a field of twenty horses. Um, but you you have a horse here in Soup and Sandwich that has a lot of speed. Um, and and even with a big field, that seems to be a big advantage too. Does that give you a little bit more confidence in that he is very quick out of the gate? Well, we hope he's going to, yeah, no, he has broke very well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I've learned over the years, anything's possible, but <laughs> if he breaks, um, I'm sure that Tyler's going to hit the gas pedal a little bit. And there's definitely a pretty big engine in there that'll get him rolling. So uh, I, I do see us being extremely close to the pace. Um, but again, the break is going to be very important. And uh uh, but I do, I, I, I see him maybe having a little bit of a stocking trip and mm -hmm. I do agree with you, especially with his lack of seasoning that, uh, we don't want to be too far back. Now, as you said, you know, anything can happen. Um, a couple of years ago, you had a very, very talented horse in classic empire, uh, who had not the best start in the Kentucky Derby and was another kind of quirky horse as well. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the things that you've learned in dealing with a horse like that, who obviously had a world of talent and, and the question was just kind of being able to channel it, I guess, a bit. Well, I mean, if you compare uh, soup and sandwich to classic empire, 
um, <laughs> soup and sandwich is like a kitty cat. Oh no. <laughs> oh yeah. Classic empire was uh, one of the toughest horses I've ever trained. Mm -hmm. And he was one of the reasons why not just him, but even prior that I pushed so hard for the 20 stall mm -hmm. gate, there was a huge disadvantage to anybody that drew anywhere in the middle um, when we had the auxiliary gate. So I'm, I'm happy that we now have a 20 stall gate. So I think that'll make the start a lot better, but mm -hmm. I, I will go to my grave saying that Classic Empire was the best horse in the Kentucky Derby. He just was so unlucky. And, and I recently, I hadn't watched it in a while, but uh, I watched the uh, Preakness and mm -hmm. I had told Julian, I said, you go after Always Dreaming and we'll figure out who's the best horse is. And, um, you know, Classic Empire ran a heck of a race. Of course, we got beat at the wire by cloud computing. But um, yeah, no, there's no comparison. Really, um, as far as soup and sandwich goes, mm -hmm. the only thing he really, he just gets a little, he is a little studgish sometimes. He mm -hmm. He, uh, he likes to tell everybody that he's a young man and, um, he's out looking, but besides that, he's, uh, he's kind of, he's an angel. A beautiful runner too. I'm looking forward to seeing him. Of course, that beautiful gray, um, but you have two chances. You also have a bay called in helium, uh, for DJ stable. Who's undefeated as of yet having won the Tampa Bay Derby. Um, tell me a little bit about him as he did start his career up at Woodbine where you typically keep a strong string as well. Yeah, I think, I think they're overlooking him. I don't think anybody realizes just how great his, his Tampa Bay Derby win was. Um, in my 40 plus years of training, I would say it was the, um, he overcame more, more mm. in that race than I've ever had any horse ever overcome in any race. Wow. Um, I, to, to this day, I, I still don't know how he won. Um, you know, with one, when you figure that he had four and a half months off mm -hmm. between races and never ran on the dirt and never ran on two turns. And then, as somebody said, uh, I don't, I'm not worried about him going a mile and a quarter because he went a mile and a quarter in the uh, Tampa Bay Derby. Of course, it was only a mile in the 16th. Um, I, I really, I, I still don't know how he, how he won. He's had such a wide trip. Mm -hmm. And the amazing part about it was he came back to the, to the winner's circle and act like he hadn't done anything. Um, so I just don't know if you can get him tired. Mm -hmm. um if you look at i'm a thoroughgraph guy mm -hmm. and his thoroughgraph number came back at three which is much mm -hmm. much better than the 84 buyer that they want to give them and i understand that the 84 buyer is a true number when you figure out just the time of the race mm -hmm. but his race was so much better than an 84 i have a friend that did some comparisons uh, mike maker had a horse win that day and ran a 97 buyer an older horse Mm. And the way we figure it, our horse ran two lengths farther than he did. And if you go that way, we probably deserve to have somewhere about 101 or 100 buyer, which wow. would be right equivalent to what he got as yeah. the thoroughgraph number. So he's being overlooked. Um, and he has this habit that very few horses have. He doesn't like to get beat. Mm -hmm. So uh, he's three for three and until somebody beats him. Um, he, he thinks he's a champion. Well, 
He hasn't been beaten as of yet. And uh, I had uh, John Green on my show actually a couple of months ago and, and just a great guy and, and the operation that they do with DJ Stables as well. Exciting for them. Um, talk a little bit about your relationship with them, uh, with Helium heading to the Derby. And now, as you said, kind of a little bit of an underdog. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, I just got to spend a, a great almost a week with both uh, John and Len um, mm -hmm. at the OBS sales and um I mean, who would have thought uh, we've only, I, I think I've been training for them just a little over maybe a year, maybe mm -hmm. a year and a half. And, and we've been so lucky together and uh, there, you talk about another, uh, another, they, if <laughs> they've been doing this for a long time mm -hmm. and, and to, for them to win the Kentucky Derby, you know, these are the kind of people they put so much into our game and, and love it. Um, you sure would think they they deserve a Kentucky Derby winner. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping for a dead heat, and uh, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, that would be the best case scenario for sure. Um, and just to kind of circle back with both of these horses, as the Kentucky Derby, the mile and a quarter distance, 20 horses, uh, we're going to be facing a lot of new things this weekend that they haven't before. At this stage of the game, what are some of the things that you're looking for, maybe physically or mentally, that you want to see leading into the Derby? Well, I'm proud of them both. They, mm -hmm. They're both carrying their flesh very well. Um, they're both happy. And, mm -hmm. and those are the things, when, when the dust clears, it is what it is. They're only as good as they are. Um, and you need some luck. And so we need some luck. We need a good post. The only thing you can ask, you know, for myself and my, our team is to have your horse happy and healthy. And, and both of those horses are, are, are both. So, you know what, it, now it's up to the racing gods. Mm -hmm. uh, we've done all we can do. We keep, you know, it, it started months ago, but you hold your breath now. So as you get even closer, you hold your breath even. You're like, you just, you're ready now. Now is when you're ready to run the race. Like mm -hmm. I would say if you interviewed, uh, you know, the, well, there's a lot of, there's not 20 trainers because there's a few with multiple, mm -hmm. but I think if you train, uh, uh, interviewed any of the Kentucky Derby trainers, they'd say, let's run the race right now. <laughs> let's get it let's get it over and let's do it i'm sure that that anticipation nothing like that feeling for sure um have to ask you about another horse a very special one um and got stormy who kicked off her 2021 campaign with a win in the honey fox at, at Gulfstream, and um she's pointing towards an upcoming race this weekend as well how is she doing and and now she as created such a great following now coming back as a six-year-old mayor and, and has really done very little wrong on the racetrack well, what can I say? She's one of our, she's, she's a true star. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was pleased with her first race back. I'm a little concerned where it looks like we're going to get some rain. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully it ends on Thursday. I, I made it well known that if the ground, if, if the track has much give it to the ground, I won't run her. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed on that one uh she she was just so unlucky last year she kept you know it would be they'd say there's no rain in the forecast for the next five days and it would pour the day of the race so you know just uh we're, we're gonna keep our fingers crossed mm -hmm. she does like churchill down she's run well there and um, she's ready to go
And just in a kind of more broad question now coming back as a six-year-old, um, um, obviously it takes a unique kind of mare to, to keep herself sound and, and take care of herself through that. But tell me a little bit about kind of some of the qualities that do make her so special and being able to take her show on the road and, and keep running like she has at such a high level uh, for, for all these years now. Well, when we first got her, she wasn't that way. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of people asked me, you know, what made her better? And it was her maturity. Mm -hmm. um, when we first got her, she was a nervous wreck. And it was, I'm, I'm not saying that uh, anybody had done anything wrong prior. Sometimes it's just about growing up. Mm -hmm. And she's grown up. Um, she just has a great mind, a lot of class. And um, it's been very sound. She's for a trainer she's just a dream she's a dream she just she comes and plays hard every time and she loves what she does so uh uh there's not many like her yeah she's special for sure and um that's always the goal, right? Is to find kind of the next big one like that. And a big year for you, of course, with the COVID-19 pandemic, we were not able to have the Hall of Fame ceremony, but congratulations. I understand uh, they will do last year's and this year's inductees in Saratoga this summer together. That's what I'm hearing. And I'm going to bet that I will be spending some time with Todd Pletcher. I'm just <laughs> going to throw that out there. But... Uh, <laughs> I like his chances. Yeah, I would certainly think so. Um, but but tell me a little bit, you know, what that that honor means to you. Um, as obviously in racing, we have kind of a unique situation where individuals who are still active in the game will be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Does that add kind of a little bit more pressure as well moving forward? Well, maybe. Sometimes, you know, when I'm going through a bad run, mm -hmm. uh, I'm like, really? Am I really a Hall of Fame trainer? <laughs> Sometimes I question myself. Um, it's it's extremely special um, mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. One, um, you know, I, I went to the Hall of Fame with my father when I was like 10 or 11 and in Saratoga, and he would take me there all the time. And I told him someday that I was going to be in there. And as any good parent would do, he'd oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, he would agree whether he thought so or not. I think so. My dad's always had a lot of faith in me. So mm -hmm. that that's, you know, extremely important to me. And it, you know, with all we we've seen, you know, a lot of trainers come and go. Um, but the Hall of Fame says that you did it um, well and you did it over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm very proud of that. And then also um, I. I, as I told my uh, 18 year old son Colby, it shows that you can do do things the right way, not cheat, and take advantage of systems and still be able to achieve your goals. And, and so I'm very proud of that as well. Well, absolutely. A, a great honor and looking forward to that induction ceremony uh, this summer. And Appreciate your time today, Mark. Best of luck with the Kentucky Derby and all of the big races coming up this week, especially Soup and Sandwich and Helium in the Big Race. Appreciate you taking the time. Well, thanks for having me. And the curtain comes down on another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. This one, the special Kentucky Derby, Kentucky Oaks edition. Hope that you're tuning in. 
Friday, April 30th, the Kentucky Oaks Day card. Saturday, May 1st, Kentucky Derby card. Um, it's going to be really fun, and it's going to be really exciting to see those three-year-olds and, and all of the horses, all of the connections, all the biggest stars out really missed that kind of derby fever, derby buzz that we do have this week. Um, and if you haven't already, make sure you head over to In The Money Media a website and check out all of the Derby and Oaks content that's on there. There's so much that everybody uh, on the team has worked really hard to put together. There's the Monster Pod. There are individualized analysis of each and every Derby and Oaks runner and, and a lot just on the weekend in general. So sign up for the newsletter too on In The Money Media. You get a lot of that great information coming right to your inbox, uh, curated as far as all of the different topics that are covered on the In The Money Media umbrella. Really part to be proud of this group of bringing a variety of different stories um, and analysis into the world of podcasting as far as horse racing is concerned. So a lot more great stuff still to come. Happy Derby Week, everybody. Thanks for joining me on In The Ring with Acacia Courtney. We'll see you next time.